1: to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, along with intern Haley English. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm sorry. It looks like I'm sitting in the dark. Just a weird uh, lighting situation. Uh, but uh, if you're just listening, then that doesn't matter to you at all. So uh, Haley, I just had uh, a press conference, Kwesi Daphil and Kevin O'Connell. You'll be shocked to know that they did not reveal their entire draft plan, but there were multiple questions about trading down. And Kwesi Adafo I, I want to say, didn't really know how to answer the question without directly answering the question. So there was a lot of like, well, if we end up picking with our picks, that's okay. Uh, we got to just make the right picks. And we had a lot of picks last year and he didn't, he didn't go there, but I thought he was going to mention that they traded one of their picks for TJ Hawkinson, which kind of matters in this conversation as well. But I think that the runaway favorite for the Vikings is still to trade down, of which you use your big statistical analytical brain to dive into some potential options and even created fake trades. So let's talk about trading down. Haley, would you do it? Would you trade down if you were the Vikings?
0: Oh yeah, I think I would. I mean, there's so many potentially great options at number 23 like a star corner like a Deontay Banks or Joey Porter or maybe a good receiver like a Zay Flowers or something but I think there's some good options for the Vikings if they were to trade back a couple picks trade back 10 picks or something like that and they'd still be able to get a great player while adding some picks uh like in the process so I think it would be pretty good for them to trade down and they only have five picks in this draft they kind of need a little more because they've got a ton of holes so I think it would be pretty good for them to trade down.
1: So I was looking at a mock database, which tells you kind of the collection of the mocks and where people are expected to go. And like, it's not perfect, but nothing's perfect. But if you look at, you know, the trading down and you consider who might be available at their positions of need, say like in the late thirties, someone like Jalen Hyatt, for example, who uh, you mentioned in your article is kind of a dream scenario, but I think we can do this with almost every position where if we go to cornerbacks that players who are projected in this ballpark of even if they were trading down, it's not like it's some nightmare. Now, I think so. You've got like an Emmanuel Forbes, who you also talk about, the cornerback from Mississippi State, who is a little bit undersized, but is a tremendous playmaker. But I think that everybody between the 23rd pick and the 35th pick is probably going to have something where you're like, well, I don't know if he's perfect. He's not exactly the right wingspan or something like that. So it does make a lot of sense. Now tell me about, there's two trades that you proposed, one with the Texans, one with the Falcons. I want to go through them because even though these are just mock imaginary trades, I think that they're extremely realistic potential scenarios. So take me through first your proposed trade with the Houston Texans.
0: Yeah, so I think this is probably the Vikings' best option. We'll kind of say that first, but, um, I have the Vikings trading with the Texans, uh, they're currently on number 33 and I think it's the second pick of the first round or the third pick of the third pick of the second round. Um, so I have them trading down to there and they're also grabbing a third round pick number 73 and a sixth round pick number 188 in the process. But I also have them giving a late fifth rounder back to the Texans. Um, and I think this is a pretty good trade because you're adding a quality third round pick. They're already at number 87. They're going to pick up number 73. Um, and I think they can still get a great player at number 33. I think I have them taking uh cornerback Emmanuel Forbes at that spot. Um, who knows that might be a little early for him, but he'll definitely be on the board at that time. And I think he'll be the best corner on the board. Cause I think banks and Porter and all those other great corners are going to be gone by then. Um, so I think, taking him there would be great. And then you'll kind of be hopefully left with a decent receiver at 73, like a Nathaniel Dell um, from Houston, who I think would be a great player there. And then you have another pick at number 87 to go grab another good or to go grab another good player.
1: So what you, yeah, what you kind of did here was like sort of draft simmed in a way, but you know, tried to figure out like who was going to be there if you did these. And by the way, you used the Jimmy Johnson draft chart, which I know is not, Um, perfect, but no draft chart really is. And maybe Kwesi's draft chart is a little bit different than Jimmy Johnson's. But even until the last couple of years, a lot of the trades were still matching up with the old Jimmy Johnson chart. So I think it was a fair kind of baseline to use. So all of these trades that you propose were not just like grabbed out of thin air. They were done with the point system to kind of make this work for both sides and come very close. So Emmanuel Forbes, for example, just to kind of Like, you know, bring it home, talking about like the difference between a 23rd pick, say, and, you know, moving back to 33, Forbes was one of the highest graded by PFF. Uh, He had six interceptions last year, cornerbacks. But the one problem is that he's kind of on the light side. So he's only about 166 pounds. This is a theme of the draft past the top 15 is almost like even Deontay Banks, his athleticism, his length and stuff is perfect but his statistics are not as perfect. Like they're good, but they're not unbelievable. So if you told me like, what are the odds that Banks is good or Forbes is good? It's probably pretty close. I think, I mean, maybe a little bit leaning toward Banks, but but how much percentage is that? And then the same thing goes for picking up Dell as an additional wide receiver where it's like, yeah, he's a little on the smaller side too, but what's the difference chance between him and another receiver? And you get this other additional draft pick. I think this one is very realistic because I also don't think they want to move super, super far back.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Only moving back 10 picks and picking up a third rounder in the process. I think that's a great deal um, that you get. Uh, and the players that are there, like you said, like an Emmanuel Forbes versus a Deontay Banks. Yeah. Could be like fairly similar players in the NFL. They're both kind of great athletes. Um, a For- Forbes was I think the second highest graded corner out of the ones coming out for the draft right now by PFF only behind Devin Witherspoon who's like the best one by far kind of right now Um, so who knows Forbes could be better than Deontay Banks and if he puts on a little weight and kind of gets to a more optimal like cornerback size I know that was a thing with Sauce Gardner everyone was like oh he's so light and he put on just a little bit of weight and (laughs) look what he did last year so like Emmanuel Forbes could be that type of player for the Vikings if they're able to get him at 33 if they decide to trade down
1: Yeah. And I think also just not to like, say, I think Forbes is the best pick in the world, but uh, I think that what they've done when they've kind of missed on some of these guys is that they have gone for guys that weren't really playmakers on the football and we'll never know what Jeff Gladney would have become. That's a very hard one to talk about on the show because it just, obviously, you know, what happened with him was tragic, but uh, when he was coming out in the draft, that was one of the critiques was like, well, the guy just didn't make a lot of plays on the football. And I think that that's one area where I think Kwesi may end up valuing a little bit more because the stats point that way. Now the other one that you proposed was a little more on the radical side. I'm not going to hate on it because you put a lot of effort into it. Uh, But I, I do think though, let's imagine they're at us bank stadium. They're having their draft party. Everyone's excited. They're like, Oh, first round, everybody's cheering. Everybody, when will the Vikings pick and they trade all the way back to explain the, the trade with the Falcons.
0: <laughs> so I got them trading back all the way to number 44 with the Falcons. Obviously like amazing value. You're trading back 21 picks. Um, but then again, are you, do you really want to let 43 players go without selecting any of them? I don't think you really want to, um, but who knows if everything falls into place for this, it would a hundred percent work because what if Emmanuel Forbes falls to number 44, he could, It's still a second-round pick, um, and I've seen him go, like, not even in the second round, maybe the third round, but I think he's definitely a second-round guy. I don't know if he'll be there by 44, but he definitely could. Maybe a Josh Downs, a wide receiver, falls to 44. Who knows? You could definitely get one of those guys there, as like, if everything goes according to plan, but if you kind of trade that far back and all your top guys are gone, there's no receivers on the board, there's no decent corner or any type of player that you might want, then you're kind of stuck, and I think that would definitely turn the Vikings and all Vikings fans off from trading this far back because there's so much unknown.
1: And you do wonder now with Kweisi da Fomensa, I don't know if he's sensitive to criticism or not. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't, but uh, I'm sure that he heard at least a percentage of it last year with trading down as far as he did. So is he going to be willing to do it again? And maybe it's like that, that meme where it's like, I'll do it again. Like maybe that's, maybe that's crazy. Like I will trade down that far again. I don't know if that's the case or not uh, for how he feels about, about some of the criticism or if he went back and re looked at what he did last year and said, you know what? I actually did trade down too far, but if not like, your point system adds up here And also, I remember hearing that uh, I think it was Howie Roseman looked at second round picks like they were gold because that's where you do end up getting a lot of starters. Now, maybe you don't get Hall of Famers, but you do end up getting a lot of great players in the second round. 44 and let me check what it was. 75, right? Uh, It's a little far. In your mock scenario, the Falcons are doing this to move up. And they're and they're getting a, a position of need that they could probably fill with a starter, where the Vikings would be getting Josh Downs and DJ Turner, who are both, I think, good prospects, but Downs is on the small side. Like maybe Turner wasn't the most productive guy. So I this one to me is a little too risky. And I think on draft night, I probably would be like, Okay, Quasi, we get it. <laughs> you have analytics and you read Haley, but this is a little much.
0: Yeah, I like. As a Vikings fan, I would not be very happy to be sitting in the stadium or wherever the draft party is and seeing that they traded all the way back to 44. I'd be like, are you kidding me? I came here for nothing. Like, I know I go to the Jets draft party every year and it was exciting having number four and number 10 last year. You're getting two early picks and the Giants were there, too, and they had two top 10 picks as well. So I can't imagine like sitting there for that long and being like, we're not even going to pick tonight.
1: Right. Yeah. That would be pretty obnoxious for everybody there. So a lot, but, but I still think that what you demonstrated here is that there's a lot of options that make sense um, that there are a lot of potential opportunities with teams that have multiple picks that could be willing to kind of go get their guy, which we see every year. And you pointed out in the article that there was nine trades. I mean, that the, the, like a lot of people are moving and shuffling around uh, in the, at the very top of the draft. So I think this is very realistic. If we were making the argument against it though, like just stay at 23, like let's let's go to the counter argument here because I think that it does fit. I think it probably is what they will do, but make the counter argument for me for not trading down.
0: I would probably say if a great, like if they love like Quentin Johnston, I don't know if he'll be there by 23, but I think if they love him so much and they want to be like, all right, let's pull a trigger first round receiver, then I'd say, okay, do it. Like, if you really, really, really love a prospect, if they think Deontay Banks can be the next Sauce gardener and they truly believe that and everything and they love the stats, they love how everyone plays, like the guy that I really want, then I say, yeah, say a 23, if they really feel it's worth, like, that player and a potential, like, fourth-round pick that you might be getting by trading back, if you think that player is worth kind of those two picks, then go for it.
1: Yeah. So like in this scenario, you might have, I mean, imagine, and I don't know what point system they use exactly to create their board, but let's say after Deontay banks for uh cornerbacks, he's a eight out of 10 and the next best guy is a six and th- that their scouts and their analytics and everything else think there's a big fall off a cliff and they really need a cornerback. And I, but I, I mean, it just is so attractive though, to get a corner and a receiver. Right. Or a corner and an edge rush. We've made a corner and receiver mostly because those seem to be the, like the top of the, the mind. But a corner and an edge rusher, even in the second round, like I look at the linebackers and go, All right, you don't really want to spend first round on a linebacker. But let's say, you know, Jack Campbell from Iowa or uh, Drew Sanders from Arkansas, say those guys are there in the middle of the second round. And then you could fill that need, which you're going to have, obviously, with Jordan Hicks in his last year in his contract. Um, but I do think there's probably something to be said for that with this receiver class, though. I, I don't think that there's such a big gap. So like Smith, and the Jigba is at the top, but then like everybody that's number two through like eight, I feel like they're projected to be very similar prospects. And this is like one of the, I think, strongest arguments to move back.
0: Yeah. I was looking like through the PFF big board and everything and kind of average draft pick. And it's kind of like. Smith and Jigba going kind of first that he's I feel like he's in a league of his own even though he didn't play a lot last year um then you have like Quentin Johnson, Zay Flowers, Jordan Addison I feel like they're kind of that first round tier then it's like maybe like a Josh Downs early second round but I feel like after Downs I don't know if you're gonna see a receiver go until like the 70s because all the average draft picks it's like goes from like 40 to 60 and I'm like whoa like all these teams in the middle of there like What are you going to do? Do you really need a receiver? So maybe one of those receiver needy teams could be like, I want to move up to the first round because I want Zay Flowers. And the Vikings could be the team to trade back with them.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting, right? You mentioned like, so Zay Flowers on just what I'm looking at, the mock draft database, Zay Flowers is listed at 25. Like three guys down, we're in the 70s. And it's just like, there's just this huge gap between uh, where the projections have Flowers and Jalen Hyatt kind of on the outside of that. Cedric Tillman is kind of an interesting one, And but there is this second wave almost that would be only if you're sticking in the third round. And I do think there's kind of a cutoff for where we see great receivers selected. Now, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Terry McLaurin, these guys are third and fourth, but usually I think it tends to be after the second. So that would make a really good case for them. So anyway, that's your fully in-depth breakdown of trading down but make sure you go read the entire uh article as well now i wanted to ask you about this interesting trend as i have become completely engulfed in darkness in this room i'm sorry for that i have my light on but there's the sun is shining next to me and it's just like washing everything out so anyway you don't have to look at me as much but um anyway so there's a bunch of players who are unhappy with their contracts including two vikings uh, Delvin Cook and Zedarius Smith, or at least in a situation where they could be traded. And around the league, we have Devin White, Dexter Lawrence, DeAndre Hopkins, Saquon Barkley. All, all these players seem to be unhappy, which I think opens the door for a potential draft day trade, which we saw several of them last year. Let's just say that the Vikings wanted to use number 23 to acquire a player because they are all in on next season trying to win. It doesn't have to be one of the players I just named, but is that a good idea? Is it a good idea to trade a late first round pick to acquire a player that you're going to ultimately give a big contract to?
0: Right now, for Vikings, i say no. I don't think it's worth trading number 23 right now. That pick's a little too valuable. You're going to get a player on a rookie contract who could be really, really good. Um, I'd rather trade down in that scenario, The only thing I'd be like, okay, trade 23 fine is if you're getting like an AJ Brown, like if you're doing kind of what the Eagles did, I know they're going to have to pay him at some point. Um, But if you can get a young player who's still on a rookie contract, who's got a couple more years left on that rookie contract, maybe um, then I'd say go for it. Like Dexter Lawrence, I feel like the only player probably worthy of being traded for number 23 out of the ones you mentioned. Um, But then again, is he on his last year of his rookie contract? I think he's still Like he's getting up there right now. So, yeah, I don't know if I'd want to do that even. (laughs)
1: Folks, it's almost time for summer, and I've got something to give you a boost. It's called AG1 by Athletic Greens. I'm giving AG1 a try because I generally eat terribly and I am no good at all at remembering to take vitamins. So I'm trying to get in better shape during the football offseason, and drinking AG1 in the morning to start my day is a simple way to get rolling. It provides a nice boost of energy right off the bat so I can get into all the speculation required to report on this team. And once you make it a habit. It is very easy to stick with. AG1 helps with recovery, the immune system, and just overall nutrition. Just mix one scoop with water and you are good to go. And it costs Less than $3 a day, almost as good of a deal as signing up for Purple Insider. Look, it's a comprehensive solution to what you need for your supplement routine. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com insider. That's athleticgreens.com insider to check it out today. Yeah. And that's the the one problem with trading for players is that they're just so freaking expensive. I mean, that the reason that they're on the trade block is that they're wanting a lot more money than their team thinks they're worth or can afford. But there is like if we're trying to play a little bit of devil's advocate here, though, like, could you imagine Justin Jefferson and DeAndre Hopkins playing football on the same team? I mean, there's a little bit of that or if the Vikings wanted to jumpstart their defense, and I don't think the Giants are going to trade Dexter Lawrence for just about anything, but having seen two games of Dexter Lawrence in person Oh my god. Right, that guy is a dominant player and I know it's against the Vi- like make your jokes. It's against the Vikings interior <laughs> offensive line. But look what the guy did it to everybody the entire year last year. He is just an absolute beast and the Vikings have not had interior pressure for a long time. Again, I don't know that the Giants would trade in the conference one of the best players, but DeAndre Hopkins, the trade buzz is definitely real for him. There's a huge risk that he's been banged up a lot, he's getting older. But I think that when he's in the lineup, he's still a tremendous wide receiver trading with so many needs, trading a pick like that for someone who's super expensive, who's on the older side does seem pretty bad practice as far as business goes, but there's just another part of me. That's like, wait. And then if I, am trying to make the argument, I don't necessarily believe in it, but it's kind of a talk me into. This is Kirk's last year as Viking quarterback, right? I mean, I know that, okay, so how are you going to make it work contract-wise? Well, you can sign him to an extension. You can restructure Brian O'Neill. You could trade away Zedarius Smith. You could trade away Delvin Cook and create maybe just enough to slide this thing under the salary cap. But I think if you're trying to make a case, that would be it. And I would also say, like, be on the lookout for other players who have not made their frustrations known. I don't think any of us knew that Hollywood Brown was going to be gone, right? So, yeah if they, if they did trade 23 for a younger player, Hopkins is like pie in the sky, but if it was a younger player who was just maybe coming up on a contract that their team didn't want, I would say go for that because you're looking for, that would almost be like the TJ Hawkinson trade essentially.
0: That's true. Yeah. I really think like they got good value for Hawkinson. He's an amazing player and what they just traded a second round for him or something like that. Yeah. So yeah. So I think that was a home run. Uh, I think he's a little more valuable than maybe a potential second round pick right now here. Um, but 23, I think it's too much. It's too much to give up if you're not getting a like a player who's going to immediately be amazing in that offense and that defense or something. I know like Dexter Lawrence was like the second graded defensive or the second highest graded defensive tackle last season. Um, so yeah, amazing player, um, but he's going to be expensive.
1: Uh, which one of those guys, do you think any of those guys actually get traded? before draft night or on draft night?
0: Um, I was looking through Devin White's stats and they kind of were horrible. So maybe like a team will give up a late round pick for him if he really wants like to be traded. I mean, I think he does, but I, I don't know. I feel like Barkley could be, but then again, what team is want like wants to trade a premium pick for a running back right now? Not many, Um, but he doesn't want to play on the franchise tag. He's not signing it. So I don't know. The Giants could want to trade him after signing their quarterback to a ridiculously large deal. They don't have the money to pay for a running back.
1: I know that we always talk about like why you don't draft running backs and stuff. Uh, one of the reasons that also is that down the road, their contract situation after if their first round pick always becomes incredibly awkward or even like with Delvin cook where they didn't want to give Delvin cook the huge deal. They ultimately folded and did give him that huge contract. And I don't think it's worked out have been a success for them since he signed that deal. Uh, and you always run into this. And so you, like the player is saying, look what I proved in my first few years. And the team is saying, yeah, but our, the age curve, the, you're beat up, the amount of injuries, the price tag versus what we could do by drafting someone in the third round, all these things. It's like Saquon Barkley, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, you always run into this collision course. If you draft Bijan Robinson, you will run into this eventually. How about Josh Jacobs He's going to play on the franchise tag? Like here we are uh, with that same situation again. So I think that's a reason not to do it. But I do think that we're going to see some fireworks. I don't really know who, but I feel like the league has gone in this direction where there's a lot less fear. There used to be a lot more of like making the big kind of crazy trade, moving the draft capital. I just don't know who it's going to be. Like, is it going to be the Bears? They seem to want to, like, you know, well, they've they've got cap space left. I I wouldn't be surprised if something crazy goes down with one of these players.
0: Yeah, I definitely think something's going to go down on draft night. Like, I know I was shocked when A.J. Brown got traded, and I feel like there's going to be another moment like that in this first round. I just feel it kind of happening. I don't know why, but I feel like it's been the common theme lately.
1: I think Mike Vrabel was also shocked. I uh, remember – And now their GM doesn't have his job anymore. Uh, Crazy stuff. Imagine that would have been the case if, um, well, actually, I mean, Rick Spielman got fired anyway, but kind of for different reasons. But if the Vikings had not drafted Justin Jefferson after trading away Stefan Diggs, like that gets you fired uh, most of the time pretty fast. So uh, I wanted to do this as we were talking about some of these draft picks as because you look at everything with such a, Uh, analytical eye. And I was curious about who it is in this year's draft that stands out to you with your analytical eye. Now, I didn't include this in the email, but I should have mentioned like it doesn't have to be Vikings targets. It could just be anybody in this draft. And I want to call them Haley's heroes. (laughs) So just like Scott's tots, only way less uncomfortable. These are Haley's hero, analytical stars of the draft. So what do you got?
0: All right, so the first one I have, I feel like is obvious. It's Devin Witherspoon, cornerback, Illinois. He is like a Sauce Gardner type of prospect. He has better stat like stats in college than Sauce Gardner. So he could easily be one of the best corners like in recent history from the draft. And I think whatever team is going to get him, he's a steal. He dominates in, like every single stat. Pass breakup machine, that'll translate, I think, pretty well to the NFL. And had the like lowest passer rating when targeted, like I've ever kind of seen at 25.3. So yeah, I think he's a stud. I think he's going to be one of the best cornerbacks immediately in the NFL and whatever team drafts him probably in the top
1: 10 is going to be really lucky. I mean, 92.5 coverage grade out of PFF. You mentioned the like quarterback rating against. He gave up 22 receptions on 62 targets. So teams were kind of throwing against him a little and then immediately regretting it. Uh, yeah, that's like when we talk about, and I, I, I just, there's nothing anybody can do about this. So it's sort of a frustrating point to make over and over again, though, it's like when you go seven and nine, eight and eight, eight and nine, nine and eight, you don't draft Devin Witherspoon and you don't get sauce Gardner and you do, like most of the time you, I mean, even you don't get like a Parsons, even if you're not in that top 15, top 10, it's very hard to find these foundational players. Now the Vikings kind of lucked into it with guys like Harrison Smith and Xavier Rose, but they still picked an Anthony Barr extremely high. Like you usually have to get these foundational players super high. So I don't mean to, I know these are Haley's heroes. I don't mean to make them all about the, the Vikings, but when you mention someone like that, it's like, now that's what they, re- oh yeah, that's right. They're 23rd as always kind of drafting in the middle of the first round.
0: <laughs> yep. So my second one is Nolan Smith, the edge from Georgia. I wasn't like his PFF grades are extremely amazing. It's 83.8 from last year in defense. He didn't even play a ton of snaps, but he was just an insane combine freak. Um, Daniel Jeremiah from NFL.com kind of compared him to Hassan Reddick, and we all kind of saw what he did in the playoffs. So if Nolan Smith can be any sort of player that Reddick is immediately, yeah, I think he's a draft steal.
1: Yeah, I think uh is he not? I'm gonna look this up on uh relative athletic scores. I think he's like a hundred. Like he's I don't think he is. Football. I looked it up Oh, 92nd. Okay, yeah, 92nd. Yeah. That's I mean, that's pretty nuts though.
0: Yeah, yeah he's that's pretty great. Nuts. Yeah.
1: Um, so I yeah, I think now this is an interesting one for the Vikings, though, because we haven't talked as much about edge rusher, but when I've done draft sims, a lot of times it's like He is a little too high for them, but it's always possible that teams don't like the production enough and like a Jason Owe who dropped down or a a Adafi Owe, he dropped down even though his athleticism was outrageous, but he was not taken that high. So it's possible that Nolan Smith could end up in that ballpark just because maybe there's a little hesitation that the production wasn't quite enough. I mean, it wasn't horrendous, which I think that maybe always was pretty bad. And he was more of a combine hero, but I'm intrigued by that idea for the Vikings to draft at least uh, maybe this potential Haley hero. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I think also, you know, the kind of the edge rusher thing that, you know, they've got Sidarius not knowing what's up with him and Marcus Davenport on a one-year deal. Like this one actually kind of makes sense that it could be possible.
0: Yeah. I definitely like this option for the Vikings. I don't really know entirely where he's kind of projected in the first round i think like late first round or something like that so he could be an option for them at 23 if they move back and he's still there i'd say go for it maybe um yeah
1: seems like seems like he's jumping a bit uh because he i used to be able to get him in draft sims and now he's at 19th uh on the mock draft database so but that's still i mean it's ballpark 19th versus 23rd uh, so i think there's a good chance uh who is our next haley's hero
0: Our third one is Dalton Kincaid, the tight end from Utah. I think he's the best tight end in this draft. I have him a little better than Michael Meyer from Notre Dame just because he's better at pass blocking. So he's more of that like all around tight end um, than Michael Meyer is. He had a 91 PFF uh, grade last season. That includes pass blocking and then 92.3 just for receiving. He's just like great with yards after the catch. He had like seven yards after the catch, I think it was and just breaking tackles. So he's like that big body tight end. He might be like a George Kittle type player. I think I like whatever team is going to pick him.
1: I'm going to tell you the truth. I have not looked at tight ends at all because the Vikings have TJ Hawkinson. So I haven't dove into it, but I did happen to watch Uh, quite a bit of Utah play football this year. Uh, And it was noticeable that they have like multiple good tight ends. They also have every player on their teams, like 24 because they go on missions. And so these old players, uh, these Hendon hooker old players Mm -hmm. uh, beating up on poor USC. But uh, here's an interesting question though, about Dalton Kincaid, because I believe you that uh, he's a Haley hero, but tight ends are a weird one in the draft. Like, T.J. Hawkinson plays for the Vikings. He was a, what, ninth overall pick or something of the Detroit Lions. I mean, this this whole universe of tight ends is just weird because a lot of times they are drafted high. Evan Ingram is a player like this. They are drafted high, and they don't become the superstars that are expected right away, but they also have the possibility of developing It usually just takes years, though. Irv Smith Jr. is another example where it's like, oh, he's going to develop. He's going to be great. And we saw some of the flashes of talent, but it never got there. Like, is it worth it to take a tight end that high?
0: I think if you're getting a great player who you, like your team, can develop and not just trade him away like the Lions did Hawkinson, then I think, yeah, like that's definitely a good option. I know Kyle Pitts is a weird one because he's was taken what fourth overall and he's kind of still developing so hopefully he can become that player or else it's going to look like kind of a horrible take to take him as a tight end number four overall but I think yeah I think if you can get a good player who you feel like could be a George Kittle could maybe be a Travis Kelsey somewhere down the line then I think go for it like in the later part of the first round I don't know if you'd want to take one pretty early on now though
1: yeah, I think later part of the first round makes so much more sense. And even when Kyle Pitts was taken, the whole thing was, oh, well, he's really like a wide receiver and look at his routes and everything else. And still, it did not work out quickly for them. And I, and I don't doubt that. I mean, also, they've got some quarterback problems there. Uh, but I don't doubt that he could become a really, really dominant player. It's just that it usually takes for so long that you have to be in a position as a team to almost you know, develop that guy and have another tight end that you can use and not be looking to him to be your central piece of your offense, which I think probably the Detroit Lions did when they drafted him and it didn't work out for them. And then he became a really excellent player. Uh, let's see. Is that three? How many do we got here? Five? Yeah, I got five. Okay. Who's next?
0: All right. So the fourth one is I think the best linebacker in the draft, which is Jack Campbell from Iowa. Um, he Had a 91.9 defensive grade last year, 85.6 in run defense, and 92.9 in coverage. He kind of excels in almost every area and doesn't have a bad um, area. The linebacker from Arkansas, Drew Sanders, kind of wasn't great in, I think it was coverage, but was like great in run defense. I could have fixed them up. So, but some people have him better than Jack Campbell. I like Jack Campbell. I think you're going to get a steal like, early to midway through the second round for whatever team, maybe even the Vikings that decide to draft him. Uh, He doesn't miss tackles and a 70.6 passer rating when targeted, which is really good for a linebacker. So I think he's pretty much a draft steal.
1: You know who uh, Jack Campbell kind of reminds me of a little bit. is like an Anthony Barr in that, like he has this enormous size. I mean, for a linebacker today, and this is why, you know, maybe the Vikings wouldn't look at him because they, uh, wanted the undersized linebackers, but I don't know. I mean, last year, like the undersized linebacker thing didn't work out great. He's almost legit, six five and two hundred and fifty pounds, and ran a four six, and that's pretty impressive for a dude that big. And his quickness scores were uh, like just through the roof. There's a reason why Iowa actually won games while scoring about uh, you know, three field goals per game. Uh- <laughs> And that was because of their defense and a player like him. He actually is very interesting to me for the Vikings in our trade back scenario. If they were to take him at 23, I think there'd be a lot of disappointment. But if he were taken, say, like 33, as you kind of laid out there instead of a corner. And and it's hard. It's very hard to say what they're going to do with the corners, because like, are you going to use free agency? Are you going? So if you have a player like this who you think could be a foundational player to your defense to pair him with Brian Asamoah. That's a good place to get him. So I do like this Haley's hero as a potential target for the Vikings.
0: Yeah, I think he's a great player. Um, All right, so my fifth one, I feel like I wrote one down, but then I thought of another one also. But I feel like they're kind of similar players because they're both very, like, undersized. So, I like, the first part of this, like, 5A, is going to be Josh Downs, wide receiver from UNC. He, I think he's a star player. He had great receiving stats. 86.1 86.1 receiving grade, that's eighth in all of college football, and the highest of the top prospects uh, this year, like even over Quentin Johnson and all those other players. Um, and he also had the potential like second overall pick next year throwing to him in Drake May. So I think like having already like an NFL caliber quarterback throwing to you is already a step up because you're not like learning from like, oh, maybe like an okay to a horrible quarterback in college to hopefully a great one in the NFL. You're not like, learning anything different so I think he could be a great player in the NFL I really like him he had a really high passer rating when targeted uh catches almost everything thrown his way I mean that's a lot of on the quarterback because he was really accurate but I like Josh Downs as a player again he's kind of undersized but then my second one like 5b I'm gonna say Deuce Vaughn the running back from Kansas State one I love Kansas State for some reason I don't know why and I saw him play one game as I was out to dinner and the game was on TV and he rushed for like 300 yards. And I was like, this guy's awesome. He's what, like five, six, five, five. Um, and he's just like a little like bundle of energy and fire that's gonna run all over the field. And I don't know if he were, I don't know if he returns kicks or punts, but could be a thing for him. Um, kind of like a Darren Sproles type player, because he was also really small. But I don't know, I like those two guys, even though they're kind of undersized.
1: Yeah, I mean, Darren Sproles went to Kansas State kind of the same. Like, you know, I don't know, there's a connection there. And I really enjoyed watching him play too. Like, I don't know if he'll be a great NFL player being five foot five is difficult, not impossible for a running back, but if you draft him, you're getting a lot of fun. I think that's he he was just such a good, like, if you can overcome, I've always thought this about small players that a lot of times, if you can overcome, and I know sometimes history just points against these. But even to be considered a top prospect, if you could be that short and be a fourth round prospect, it's worth it at that point. You're not drafting him in the first round, of course, but it's kind of worth it to take a shot at somebody who's always had to overcome being that size and playing against such difficult competition. Uh, You know, so I I think that that's that's a really fun one. As far as Josh Downs goes, very interesting prospect because he was great on contested catches. And the irony is like Quinton Johnston was horrible on uh, Quentin or on a uh, contested catches and Josh Downs was amazing and Downs is tiny and Johnston is huge and that might change in the NFL I don't know Downs is a very very tough one and it was so interesting to hear Adafo Mensa say that this draft is so much of like an outlier draft with the size of the receivers that there's nothing you can even reach back to and say oh well we're looking at this or we're looking at that. Uh, there's not even a lot of players who have ever been considered top three round draft picks that are at this size. Now there hasn't been a lot of success, but I think that's an interesting one because his numbers were so so good even at that size. That might be like a third rounder. If if again like if it's in the third round, make him a Haley's here. We should have got like a a jingle, Haley's <laughs> Heroes, draft them. So there you go. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. Definitely. So those are Haley's heroes. I I'm glad you did that. Uh, well, I'm gonna go slightly out of order here because we got uh, two two quick things left. But uh, Aaron Rodgers hasn't been traded yet. You notice?
0: It's okay. Have you seen Joe Douglas at the on stage with? I don't remember what that was. Some radio thing. He was like, "Oh, he's gonna be here," referring to Aaron Rodgers. He's going to eventually. I'm just saying, I'm just
1: saying it hasn't happened yet.
0: It's alright. I mean, hopefully it happens before the draft. But if it doesn't, then hey, the Jets will take three players in the first two rounds. They got back-to-back second round picks now, and they'll gladly take players with those picks if the Packers don't want them. So who knows? Um, I'm counting down the days until the draft. And if it happens on draft night, I will be in MetLife at the Jets draft party. And that would be the most insane scene ever. Um, The Jets are not giving up number 13 though, no matter how many analysts and everything I see mock a player at 13 to the, uh to the Packers. I'm like, are you serious? Like the Packers and the jets? No, number 13 is not in the equation. Like clearly you're not keeping up with this. So uh, he's going to be on the jets eventually. And yeah.
1: All right. Every single week we keep coming back and I just, the, the, this is our update. He's not a New York jet yet. You were so confident. uh, I, the, I would leave the door open that Aaron Rodgers just decides that he is going to move to Bolivia and become a <laughs> monk. Okay. Like it's always possible that he's going to go live in a tree in South America or something. So I'm just saying that it could happen. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's the, it's the weirdest thing because like this trade hasn't been done. Rodgers is still on the Packers roster and yet Jordan loves like I'm the quarterback now. And they're, the jets are talking as if they have Aaron Rodgers and yet this deal isn't done. And I think that when it comes to the leverage conversation, which just throw me off the tallest building in know I never want to hear the
0: word ever again.
1: (laughs) So obnoxious, but it's like both and neither, like both of you kind of do both of you kind of don't, would you just do the deal already? We're all tired of hearing about it.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm sick of hearing the word leverage. If I ever hear it again, I'm going to die. And (laughs) neither side has leverage. It's about like the same, you go back and forth. You can argue like whatever side you want to hear the answer to. So it's annoying, but it'll happen at some point. The Jets are confident. And and if it doesn't, then I don't know. Trade the farm for Lamar,
1: whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, now it looks like he's not going anywhere either. So all of our fun is being ruined. So <laughs> uh, last thing I had for you outside of potential questions for me. Uh, was NFL.com wrote an article about each team's ideal draft picks in the uh, with their first first three, but of course the Vikings only have two. And the author of this article, I forget who it was, wrote that the ideal picks were Will Levis for the Vikings and Kytrell Clark a corner out of Louisville with the third round pick. And I would like your uh, reaction to saying that that is the ideal situation for the Vikings.
0: Okay, so the person who ever wrote this article clearly hates the Vikings, definitely, because one, Will Levis, no, that's not an ideal pick. Hopefully he's gone by then and the Vikings don't have to decide whether to take a quarterback and kind of not go all in for like Kirk's probably last season on the Vikings. So hopefully it's not even an option um, because I don't want them to see or I don't, I don't want to see them take a quarterback for the future when he is, doesn't have good stats in college and is a big giant question mark and you kind of wasted a pick at that point, and you're not getting a player who could be good for your team for the next year. Um, And then – so I thought that was bad. And then I laughed at Trail Clark because he – I think he's horrible. He's not worthy of a third-round pick at all. I think he'd be a sixth or seventh-round corner because his stats are absolutely horrible. Like, I probably have 15 corners ahead of him in this draft, at least 15 corners ahead of him. He had a 58.5 coverage grade. Like, why are you going to draft someone that tie with a 58.5 coverage grade? He regressed heavily that year, too. He was had had coverage grades in 2020 and 21 of, like, 71 and 72. So those aren't even great. Like, I wouldn't be extremely high on him if he went, went 70 again. But he dropped down to 58. Like, gosh, that's not great. And then he let receivers catch passes 61% of the time. Had 107.8 passer rating when targeted. Only two pass breakups. Like, he's gone awful. I didn't even have him in my, like, table of top 15 corners. So, I was like, who the heck is this guy? So, yeah. There's so many great corners that'll be there at 87 for them. Maybe, like, Hodges, Tomlinson, like, Clark Phillips or something like that. Why are you, like, mocking someone who's kind of bad and should be a fifth or sixth-round, seventh-round pick? I don't know.
1: Well, tell me how you really feel about this, uh, Haley. I'd really like to – I think that we're, we're, we we're can tell you're waffling on this ideal <laughs> scenario. I got to say I had the same reaction. But, I mean, now, Levis is such a weird one because by the laws of this show, I have always said we don't know which first-round quarterback is going to work out. But there, there's just a lot of red flags with Lil, Will Levis, including that he eats bananas whole, which is re- – yeah. did you see this video? <laughs> no. he, he Yeah, he made a video of himself where he's just like, it's like a banana that's kind of expired and he eats the whole thing with the peel. And why you would make a video of yourself doing this, much less do that. He apparently puts Mayo in his coffee. Like, I don't know if he's trying to like be an influencer or something. This is very weird, very weird stuff. Uh, that doesn't take him off my board, but it is interesting to me that there seems to be like a growing kind of, I don't really know if this guy's really going to be an actual first round pick. The numbers aren't that good. And Kevin O'Connell talking about they all have to be in agreement about Will Levis. I feel like he'd be a hard player to get agreement on because if you're Kwasi, how do you say that this guy has the numbers? And then you know his pro day maybe wasn't that great and like his performance wasn't that great last year. This is, this is, I think I would have to say, okay, this is a good pick because they made their selection for the future. Like just, again, the bylaws of the show. If someone gets drafted in the first round as a quarterback, that's a good idea. But this presses, this presses the edges of that. Probably just as much or more than Hendon Hooker because Hendon Hooker was so much better in college than Will Levis. Will Levis is also old, by the way. Yeah. So a lot of red flags there. And the other guy, like, wow, I haven't even heard of this player at this point. And this is who you're saying is ideal for them? Uh, very, very strange. Very strange. But I wanted you to bash uh, Will Levis more. <laughs> What is your, let's put it this way though. What, like, what is your, what is your confidence though? What is your confidence that it's, that Will Levis is not going to work out?
0: I probably, so like in a percentage, the percent that I think he won't work out is probably like close to 75. I think he's going to be one of the biggest, like if he's taken pretty early on in the first round, oh my God. Like I'm like, you might be the biggest quarterback bust in a while right now. I mean, Zach Wilson was obviously horrible. There's been other like first round busts, but I think he's the biggest potential for a bust in this draft uh, for the quarterbacks.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Sorry. I was going to say the biggest busts have all (laughs) happened to your favorite team. Uh, uh, So, but you went there anyway. All right. So uh, now just as the sun has gone down and I am back in the light uh, and look normal again, as opposed to looking like, uh airplane pilot or something in the dark um what uh do you have any vikings questions for me
0: yeah okay i've got one this week and it might not be the most positive one because it kind of takes you to the end of your season but that fourth and eight play (laughs) against the giants that ended your season like what do you think they were trying to do like you're throwing it two yards down the field and they're trying to win the one-on-one, like having Hawkinson break that tackle and get the first down. But I wouldn't trust that, like throw it at least to the sticks.
1: <laughs> it's Isn't it amazing, by the way, like that football game was really good. It's just a really good playoff game and it comes down to a one score game and it's close and everything else. And you could also go back to how they couldn't get a stop and that the Giants end up going ahead at the end of the game with Daniel Jones as their quarterback because you just could not make the key stop, right? So there's so many things in a game that lead up to it. But in the playoffs, there's these one plays that always stick out to us. Like with the Broncos and Ravens, when uh, the cornerback for the Broncos on the Hail Mary from Joe Flacco, like underplayed it, the guy goes in for the touchdown, Jacoby Jones, I think. Uh, And it's just like, that's the play. That's the play. that, That didn't even win the game. And like, that's the play though. The fourth and eight check down, like that's the play. That's the one that just sticks with you. The same way with Dak Prescott, where Dallas was actually already about to lose almost no matter what, but Dak Prescott running the clock out on himself will just never be forgotten. <laughs> and I think that's what, I actually think that that domino effect leads to Kellen Moore being the offensive coordinator in LA because nobody ever forgets these things. So just, it's funny that you bring it up because it, it kind of comes up on the show almost every day. And, uh, so I think, I think based on what they said that what happened was Kirk Cousins saw Justin Jefferson double teamed and he was like, okay, I need to go through the next read, which was probably KJ Osborne on the other side of the field or Adam Thielen. Both of them were on the other side of the field. But when Dexter Lawrence broke through, he thought, okay, I'm not going to be able to throw it over there. So I've just got to get rid of it and make sure I don't take a sack to end the season. But I mean, look, you'd almost rather have him get sacked to end the season than check it down three yards <laughs> where you, don't, I mean, not technically, but kind of right. Like trying to make a play and take a big hit or something, but mostly you just want him to throw it to double coverage. And Kirk saying after the game that he like, didn't throw it to Jefferson because he was doubled was like, why would you tell everyone that because yeah. throw it to him when he's doubled. Uh, And then I'm sure Jefferson's reaction after the game was probably like, really, man, really, Like, really? Uh, So that was tough. But for me, the funny thing is about for me. So this whole season was nuts, right? It's like one of the longest feeling seasons I've ever covered because every week was just something totally insane week after week after week. And so there was like the two minute warning. I think they come back out. Kirk throws that pass. And I turned to the person next to me, which is Sam Ekstrom, which our audience knows is he was, you know, purple insider. Uh, and uh, I said to Sam, I was like, wow, all comes down to this next play. And Sam goes, no, it doesn't. It's over. I was like, that was fourth down. Like I just, just, uh, I had like a Tom Brady moment of like losing what down it was because in my mind, I was like, oh, wow, there's no way, there's no way he just threw a check down on fourth yeah. down and eight. So, you know, that, that one, It's going to, it's going to stick with him, which is it's unfair and it's fair, right? Like, I don't know how you, you tell me how you feel about it. I feel like it's unfair and it's fair. Like in some ways it's so definitive of why they haven't gone any farther throughout the years, but also super unfair to a guy who had all these like clutch plays throughout the season to put it on that one. But then there's another part that's like fair because a lot of quarterbacks who win run away. Or take risks or make that you know what I mean so I don't know it's a it's a play that will definitely live in Vikings infamy for sure
0: yeah I think so I think the Cowboys might have you beat there with that having Zeke in center oh my god that was like the funniest thing I probably have ever seen because everything that could have gone wrong like went wrong and just calling that play made it all go wrong so at least you're not the Cowboys in that aspect
1: And again, like the game is over, but you just did the stupid... If they just threw an incomplete pass regularly, no one would ever remember that. And then, you know, so two years in a row, the Cowboys end on the stupidest (laughs) fashion. So uh, anyway, well, once again, as always, I tell you to go read what uh, Haley has written. Purpleinsider.com had some glitches, but now it is back up and running and all good. So go there, check it out. It's a fantastic piece. And uh, we will do it again next week. And... Wow. We're almost there. We are, we are closing in Haley. You excited?
0: Yeah, definitely. Draft night. I mean, as a Jets fan, a draft night is the, that's the night of the the year. It's the most exciting one. It's the one everyone looks forward to because there's optimism. So I think, yeah, draft night's always fun. I love the first round
1: and I'm excited for it. Your Super Bowl. Maybe we'll have to do, uh, we'll do analytical draft sim and we'll let you draft sim for the Jets. We'll do that for next week. (laughs) Uh, So uh, thanks for your time as always. Thanks everybody for listening. And we will see you soon. Awesome.